looking at Jesus Christ's unlikely Christmas tree. And um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking this morning at um, the third um, woman in the Scripture. Actually, the fourth, um, because we have Rahab and Ruth. And we're going to look at your, the wife of Uriah. She, they don't even mention her by name, Bathsheba. And um, we're going to kind of unpack that story today because I, I think that the thrust, why I've been praying about this for a long time, going, God, what do you really want to say here this morning? And um, I think this morning um, we're going to look at this idea of contentment and um, and how God wants us, especially during this Christmas holiday, to be content. And uh, I think that there's some stuff here for us this morning. So let me, uh, let me start with uh, Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to flip over to um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. But Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abimadab, the father of, that's my favorite one, Abimadab. Um, Anyway, Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, we've looked at We've looked at Tamar, we've looked at Rahab last week, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. We're going to look at the wife of Uriah, Solomon's mother. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father. We're going to go all the way, because next Sunday, Christmas Eve, I hope you have your Christmas shopping done, because we're going to look at Mary then. It takes us all the way to Mary. Um, 2 Samuel now. Everybody turn over in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm reading this part, and some of you might be a little bit perplexed or confused, but please don't be because I pray and hope to the Lord it all comes together in the end. So, and you can pray for that too. There's so much here. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, 
the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus, <laughs> Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Let's pray. Precious Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, I pray that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. I thank you, Lord God, that your son Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. I thank you, Lord God, that this word is a sharp and powerful double-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. And I pray, Lord God, you would use it to transform us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, And let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. So when my wife and I first got married, um, so by the way, I'm wearing um, a blue shirt, but it has hollies all over it, these little hollies. My favorite part about Christmas is holly. Um, that's my wife's name, by the way. Um, ah, you saw what I did there, huh? Um, so my wife and I, when we first got married, um, we had a different idea about gift giving. Um, see, I came from a household that you, when you gave a gift, you, in your mind, you wanted that gift for yourself so you knew you were giving a good gift, okay? That was the way that I thought, okay? I'm not lying, okay? All you gift givers are like, shame. Um, and my wife, um, when she 
gives gifts, it should represent how well you know the other person or how well you know the person. So the gift that you give is based upon how well you know them throughout the year and conversations you have had or things that they have wanted or things that they have maybe needed and you give them a gift according to how well you know them. It's a much better way to give gifts. But our first three years of marriage, and I kid you not when I say this, I bought gifts that I wanted for myself, and I'm like, this is a great gift. I'm going to give this to my wife. And I gave it to her, and she didn't like the Rambo part one, two, three, and four. She didn't like Die Hard one, two, three, and four. I'm like, these are the greatest movies ever, Holly. I don't understand. And I gave her all of these gifts, and I'm not lying when I say this. She returned every single Christmas gift for the first three years. And it wasn't for lack of spending money on her, because I spent lots of money on her, she just said, these gifts don't represent me. They don't represent how well you know me. Let me share something for you in understanding that. God gives you gifts to you because it's for you and he knows you. He doesn't give you gifts that you want sometimes. He gives you gifts because he knows it's what you need. And when we start looking at other people and the gifts that God gives them and we want them for ourselves, that is when we get into trouble. That's when we stop all joy in our life. And every Christmas, we're reminded of the fact that if we are not content with what God has given to us, that we should just go put it on the credit card anyway and get it. And so what happens is, instead of this being a time of joy and celebration and holiday, we want what God never intended us to have. And we're jealous of those that God gives it to, but doesn't give it to us. Because we're sinful people. And David, a man after God's own heart, is no different. And so by means of introduction, Matthew does not mention her by name, but Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon by King David. How she makes the Christmas list is quite scandalous with adultery, pregnancy, murder, and attempted cover-up. And so here's the big thought. Here's the big idea. David was blessed. He went to the roof instead of to war. Second Samuel chapter 11 says this. It says, in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And why was that? Was he tired? I don't know. Maybe he was just presumptuous. There's a sin of presumption in our country that we think we deserve more than we have. And he thought, I deserve this break. I deserve this rest. And in that thought patterns, he goes out onto his roof and um, he sees Bathsheba and she's bathing on the top of her roof. Now, like... 
I've read lots of commentaries and lots of scholars in this, and so there's this thought of that she's like on the roof going, David, David, I'm bathing. And everyone goes, whoa. And David couldn't control himself because Bathsheba was seducing him. Um, no, here, here's the deal. If you've ever been to Israel, it's a very arid place. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, all of the water cisterns are on the roof because it rains and they collect it, and that's where you bathe. It wasn't, and anyway, David should have stinking been at war anyway with their husband. But if you're at, if you ever go to the Temple Mound, that was where the, there was the temple, and then next to the temple was the king's palace. And if you see the city of David, if we were in Jerusalem right now, the the Temple Mound and the palace, which is a little bit lower, but it's still up on that mountain, Mount Moriah, by the way. And you'd look down and see the city of David. So if he's just out on his palace, he can look down and see all of the roofs. And so David wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he goes out onto the roof, and he sees her bathing, and he wants her. And so he sends soldiers to go pick her up. Hashtag me too. And he took her. And then he had her husband killed when he found out she was pregnant to hide it. And he took her as his wife, then... Husband's dead. He's going to take her as his wife. But pretty much everybody knew what David had done. And so I think about it this, this way. And, and so this season, David was discontent. And he wanted something that God never intended him to have. If you're taking notes, pull out your, your, your sheet And understand this, God blessed David with great gifts. Here's the application for us. God has blessed you with great gifts. You know how I know that? Because you live in America. And and with the rising costs of everything going up globally, the average Kenyan, I'm just going to use Kenya, makes about $2 a day. I mean, sorry, $2 a week, sorry. Sorry, $2 a week. Where the average American makes about $291 a week. And if you've ever been to the grocery stores overseas, I could take you on a lot of missions trips. The prices aren't that much different for bread and milk and all of that. Yeah, we have a lot more taxes in some, some, some ways. But you are blessed. God had blessed David. He had made him king. Nathan in, in verse 8, he says, and I, God is talking to David through Nathan, and he says, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you his house of Israel and of Judah. And listen, and if this were too little, David, I would add to you as much more. But David wants more. 
I always think about the, the, the people that overwork and work and work and work and work because they want to make a little bit more. Because it's never enough because they need a little bit more. If you win the rat race, ladies and gentlemen, you're still a rat. David wants more. And what he is not supposed to have not only does he want more, but he wants what other people have, not what he has been given. And he wants what he isn't supposed to have. And I want to define some terms for you here in, the, in, the, in your notes. And the first one is lust. Lust is a hunger or a craving of wanting and pursuing something God never intended you to have. If you're looking at pornography, if you're coveting the cars or the stuff that people have, you're lusting after something God never intended you to have. But yet, we live in a society where every commercial and every, every click on your thing with the, with the things and your phones are listening to you and they're bringing up these little ads of you can have it all, you can have it, and if you can't afford it, it's okay, we can finance it. And if you can't afford it, we'll give you a credit card. And if you can't afford it, we're gonna, we're gonna you can have it all. Like, the commercial that cracks me up is the car commercial with the big bow, and then the wife comes out and is like, oh, honey, you bought me a car. How did you know? It's like a Lexus or like a Mercedes or something. It's crazy. If I did that, my wife would shoot me. You didn't know, did you? Yes. She's like, no, it's going back, and I'm going to beat you up. Like, that's not real. It's not reality. But it's this constant feeding of you need more, you need more. Don't be content with what you have. We live in a society, if you're not content with your wife, go get a new one. You don't like it with your husband, go find a new one. You're not content with your car, go finance one. You want gifts for everybody, take a credit card out and buy it and pay it later. Do you understand that our counseling load from Thanksgiving to New Year's goes up like 300%. And most of it has to do with the lack of contentment in people's lives. But you can have it all. That's what David thought. I'm the king, I deserve this. And if I don't get it, I'm going to find a way to get it. James chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 says this, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions or your lusts. That's what the King James says, to spend it on your lusts. Look what he says, verse 4. No, keep going. You adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think what happens is we're lusting for things that God never intended us to have and it makes us miserable because even if we get it, then we want more of it or we want something else. Secondly, coveting, coveting, yearn to possess something God never intended you to have. Yearn to possess something God never intended you to have. And next to it, there's a little line, put a little line that someone else has. Coveting, so lust is God never intended me to have it. Coveting is that person has it and I want what they have. It's one of the 10 commandments. Commandment number 10, gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm yearning to possess that something, something that somebody else has. And then the last word that I wanted to find is content, and that's peaceful satisfaction. In Philippians 4, Paul says, whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. And we'll read that at the end. Pride and power is never yours to be taken. David looked, he asked, and he took. What we need to understand in this is that we should never underestimate the power of sin. So here's the story. So David's supposed to go to war. He sees Bathsheba. He has his soldier sin there. He gets her pregnant. He sends her back to her home. She announces to him, hey, I'm pregnant. David um, recognizes the scandal. He decides he's going to cover it up. So he brings Uriah home, and he's thinking, sure, Uriah is going to go to his house, and he's going to sleep with his wife, and then everyone will think, oh, that's when you got pregnant. Okay, that doesn't happen. Because Uriah sleeps outside his house because he's like, no, the men are in battle. I should be in battle too. He tries this multiple times. It doesn't work. David sends Uriah back to the front lines to, with Joab with a note that basically says, hey, here's... The plan, Uriah goes to the hot part of the battle with all the men, then pull all the men back except Uriah the Hittite, and then he gets killed. That's what happens. Bathsheba then um, loses her husband. And uh, David takes her as his wife. You look at this and you go, okay, He saw her, he stalked her, he was a slave to her. He presumed that he deserved her. The sin of presumption had gotten him. Ask yourself if you, the sin of presumption, the way you attack the sin of presumption, this is how you know if you have the sin of presumption. When you go to the Christmas party and you do the gift exchange and there's the steals going on, you really, really care what gift you come home with. If you really care about what gift you come home with and you're nasty to everybody else about it and you don't actually take the worst gift, you probably struggle with the sin of presumption. 
In fact, if my grandma, she would always say this. She would, we would we'd have these Christmas parties or things, and we would have these conversations, and I would just remember sitting at her feet, and she would just teach me of Christ, and she would just say, I, I want the burnt piece of toast. I want the worst gift at the party. I want to sleep in the worst and, and room because Christ deserves everything, and I'm supposed to, because of Christ, he tells me that I'm supposed to esteem others better than I'm myself. And I'm to love one another. And I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself. And so I shouldn't be jealous of what they have. I should be more generous to what they have. Because then it just goes to show that they then can be generous to other people as well. We live in a world and in a country where everyone's living in scarcity, not generosity. Well, the economy's gotten bad. When, the, when is the economy ever good? No, be generous. Money just makes you more. If you have lots of money and you're generous, you'll just be more generous. If you're poor and you're generous, money just makes you more. You're going to still be generous. It's not about all of those things of give me, give me, give me. David was there and that's what he thought. I want that. It's mine. I deserve it. I don't need to be content because I'm the king, and I can manipulate it and make it so I can get what I want. If God wanted you to have it, he would have given it to you. If God wanted David to have Bathsheba, he would have given her to him. Let's talk about Bathsheba for a second. I think she gets a bad rap. She was on the roof obeying God by ceremonially cleansing after her unclean period. David took her and she became pregnant after submitting to her king. Her husband is killed in battle as her king sends him to his death. She marries her king then. She delivers her first child, a son, but he dies. Bathsheba loses her husband. She loses her first son, and she's married to the king that made it all happen. Where's God in her life as she is suffering because of her submitting to her king? And now she has this husband who she's supposed to love and cherish and honor and respect. And but in scripture's awfully quiet about her. You don't hear anything of her saying anything negative against David. You don't see her saying anything. Evil And the Bible does record one of David's wives speaking ill against him. 
So it, it wasn't like that she couldn't have said something, and she had every right to probably say something. But God humbled her new husband. God placed her second son, interestingly enough, as the king of Israel, Solomon. He was the wisest and richest of all the kings. It's through her line and her son that she gave birth to, her second son, that the line of Christ comes. He was the wisest and the richest of all the kings of Israel ever. Most scholars believe that Proverbs 31 of a virtuous woman was written about his mother and not one of his wives. Fascinating, huh? 2 Samuel chapter 11, 27, it says, But the thing that the David had done displeased the Lord. It wasn't what that David and Bathsheba had done. It was that David had done, displeased the Lord. So we see Bathsheba in this state, but I think she remained extremely godly in the midst of all of it. Never underestimate the power of sin in your life. Pride and power is never yours to be taken. David took it. He looked, he asked, he took. But never underestimate the power of sin. If you're underestimating the power of sin in your life, you're setting yourself up for a huge fall. If you're discontent now with something as menial and trivial as what the neighbors got and you didn't get, you're setting yourself up for a bigger fall. And so God brings Nathan to confront David. This Christmas season, you need a Nathan in your life. You need to ask him the questions. Am I being selfish? Am I being self-absorbed here? Am I being presumptuous? You need to have a Nathan in your life. It's somebody who doesn't have a lot of friends, but you go to that person because you know they're going to give you the truth of God's word, whether you want to hear it or not. They tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Everyone needs a Nathan in their life. <clears throat> Everyone needs to listen and to learn from their Nathan. So people come and they're like, oh, mentor me, mentor me. I'm like, oh, I don't think you want me to mentor you. No, 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 I really want you to mentor me. And here's my response. You're, the Bible says if you're really going to be a disciple of mine or you're really going to be a, a mentee of mine, the Bible says that you're going to be like me. Do you really want to be like me? Because I'm not going to let you off the hook to use me like Google, to where I can just type in Google some, about a subject and I could come up with all of these different things and most of them can be contradictory and I can pick the things that I like and discard the things that I don't like. No, a true mentor is somebody who will be honest with you and communicate to you over and over again the truth of God's word. And you have to submit to it 
and they're willing to risk their lives, their friendship, because they believe that God's word is worth it and that you're worth it to be conformed in the image of Christ. It's one of the things that I love about my wife. My wife is this for me. See, I have the Holy Spirit in my heart and the Holy Spirit in my head. Because it's this sense of, I need to listen and learn to the truth of God's word, and she communicates to me, and she's willing to fight for it. And she's willing for there to be a fight. And so when people sit down with my wife and and they have these conversations with her, most people don't like it. Because my wife is extremely loyal and extremely truthful and she'll walk with you through it no matter what it is. Nathan was that to David. Nathan came before the king and basically, he didn't say, you're the man. He didn't say that. That's what David wanted to hear. No, he said, you're the man. Something David didn't want to hear. But because of David's humility and brokenness, and recognizing that he should have died. It's interesting, God repaid David the fourfold that David said that that man should have been repaid, but he didn't die. But it cost David and Bathsheba their first son together. And the child died. That's rough. Here's a woman who has her first child and the child dies. You need a Nathan in your life, church. You need somebody that will mentor you and will teach you what God's word says, whether you want to hear it or not. If you really want to grow, get, get somebody that will disciple you and not just teach you Grudem or not just teach you the scripture, but actually walk with you through it. We were having the conversation, the difference between a boss and a mentor. So when you work at Coastal, you ha- we have a boss role and they kind of give the riverbanks, but the mentor is everything else that takes place in the middle of the relationship. And I said, there's a difference between being a boss and a mentor. A mentor, a boss... They show up for work late. A boss writes them up. A mentor calls them next week to make sure that they're out of bed and goes to their house to make sure they start to coming to work on time. And so I'm communicating to our staff, don't be a boss, be a mentor. It's a lot more work, but the reward is far better. Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Nathan rebuked David, and David repented. There was consequences of David's sin. 
but God restored David, and David's still in the line of Christ, and we still look at David as a man after God's own heart. So here, here, here it is. Here's the conclusion. Here it all, bringing it together. This Christmas, are we focusing on the things that God does not want us to have? Why are we not content with God and his timeline? It's not that God doesn't want us to have certain things. Sometimes he just tells us to wait. Let us focus this Christmas on what God has given us, not what he has not given us. And let's focus this Christmas on what we can give and not what we haven't been given. Yesterday we saw over 400 families served with food. 370 kids received gifts. Yesterday, when we're all said and done, Coastal will have given away over 550 gifts on the peninsula to children. Some of you guys are extremely generous. My prayer is that all of us would be as a church, me included. And this is how I know, because here's the things that I tell myself sometimes when I'm wrestling, when I'm starting to move an inch towards David on the roof. I just wish something would work out for me. I just come to not expect anything good from God anymore. I just wish we had more of whatever I'm lacking. God is good, I know that, but he's not really good to me. I just really, really wish things were different. As the worship team comes, I'm asking myself the question, why would God walk me through this? God, I'm asking you for a good thing. Why aren't you answering and giving me what I want? Why am I struggling financially? Why is my job a mess? Why do I move cross-country back and forth? Why am I dealing with this depression, this darkness? I wish things would work out better for me, for my family, for those around me. If you're there, let me share something with you. God's still the same God. He still sits on his throne, and there's nothing he has given you that you don't deserve. because we deserve nothing. And every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no shadow of turning. If you feel like that God is opposing you over and over again, then my question to you is, are you arrogant and presumptuous and thinking that you deserve something and you're lusting after things God never intended you to have? If you're here today and you're saying, wait a second, you don't understand, I'm in need and I can't even see past my need. Let me share something with you. If you're a parent here today or you're a single mom, I want your kids to have a Christmas. We have a ton of gifts. Write it down on a connect card, hand it to me. We will make sure you will get 100% of the gifts that you need for your kids. You need food, you need those things. We are about meeting needs as a church. You're not alone this Christmas. But there's a difference between need and want and desire and lack of contentment and lust and coveting. And I want to read a scripture 
And, and this is what I want to close with because I think that this is the Apostle Paul speaking it to us in America during the Christmas holidays. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And listen to what he says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, Paul says. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Is that us today? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Listen to what he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can go to the Christmas dinner with all of my unbelieving family. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I cannot buy the new car that I really, really want, but I know that I'm gonna go into major debt for. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter what's going on this holiday season, I can get through the death of the loved one that I lost that I'm not gonna have this Christmas or the divorce that I'm gonna be experiencing that I went through this year and now I'm gonna be alone. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is not found in me getting what I want. Contentment is found in Christ who strengthens me. And if you're here and you're wanting, let me share something with you. You will be wanting the rest of your life. Godliness with contentment is great game. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know if I can get through. My marriage is a mess right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in the midst of the storm because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's my prayer this Christmas that we would submit. Maybe we need to repent to Christ. And we need to say, Lord Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Lord Jesus, if there's people here that have never received you as Lord and Savior, if they're struggling with sin right now, they're living in lust, they're living in coveting, Lord God, They're wanting things that other people have or things that you never intended them to have. I pray, Lord God, you would convict their hearts right now and they would repent and make them generous people. Make them generous so much so that they're laughing because of how much they're giving away. Make them generous, Lord. Teach us what it is, Father God, to be content. Teach us what it is, Father, to overcome, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that we can be content in the midst of the storm, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the loss. God, help us 
to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Jesus, we love you. I pray, Lord God, we would want you more than we would want anything else. Help us now, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.